Well, if we could, uh, this evening, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, uh, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and if you read again at verse 7. 1 John chapter 2 at verse 7, where John writes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so on. Back in the day when I started as an apprentice electrician, which shocked me uh, to tell my children the other day that that was actually 20 years ago, because I left school at the end of fifth year in 2003, and I felt really old when I told my children that date. But back in the day when I started as an, an apprentice electrician, all electricians were following the 16th edition of the electrical regulations. And all electricians, they had to follow these regulations that were set out for them to make sure everything was safe that they were installing in houses and also in in commercial buildings. And so when I started in 2003, that was actually the year that they reduced the the nominal voltage of of a home from 240 volts to 230 volts. Then the following year, as I started the color of wire of the wires changed. It changed to harmonize with the rest of Europe. So the colors of the wires, they changed from the old red ones to brown, and the old black wire changed to blue. And so when I started college, we were trained on the 17th edition of the electrical regulations. But as all these electrical devices have developed and new safety features have come in, and we see it all the time, by the time I left my job to go in for the ministry, The regulations had constantly been updated and upgraded towards an 18th edition. So when I started, it was the 16th. Then when I went to college, it was turning to the 17th. And by the time I left, it was heading towards the 18th edition. And now with so many amendments being made to the 18th edition and all these regulations coming in to do with charging points for electric cars, which we're all meant to have in the future, I'm sure that the 19th edition of the electrical regulations won't be that far away. Because with so many changes over the years, as you can see, regulations, they have to be upgraded and they have to be updated all the time. And yet in that time, all that time and before it, electricity hasn't changed at all. Electricity hasn't changed in the way it it moves about and the way it's conducted because electricity is still the same powerful source it has always been. But the regulations surrounding electricity have to keep being upgraded and updated all the time. And you know, in many ways, as we come to these verses this evening, John is saying the same thing here in this passage when it comes to love. Love has never changed because love is of God. God is love. It has no beginning and no end because it is of God. And yet the command and the commendation to love one another, although that hasn't changed, the regulations surrounding it have been upgraded 
and updated. So the command and commendation to love one another, that hasn't changed. But the regulations surrounding it have been upgraded and updated by Jesus. And so I want us to consider this passage this evening, the passage that we read earlier. I want us to think about it under two headings. The first one is the commandment of love and then the commendation of love. The commandment of love and the commendation of love. So first of all, the commandment of love. The commandment of love. John says in verse 7 there, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. As you know from our study so far in First John, John is asking and John is addressing the question, the question, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm a Christian, especially when I don't feel like I'm a Christian? And as we said, the reason why the early church didn't feel like they were Christians was all due to the claims and the confusion of Gnosticism. There were these false teachers that taught that in order to know that you're a proper Christian, you need to have this higher knowledge, a higher gnosis, a Gnosticism of God, which immediately, as it would with us, if we were to hear this, it would immediately make genuine Christians, people who really love the Lord and want to follow the Lord and live their lives for the Lord, it would make them feel inferior. And ultimately, it would make them feel insignificant and isolated. Because they knew that they didn't have this higher knowledge. I don't have this higher knowledge of God. All these Christians in the first century knew was that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And that's all every Christian knows. They're a sinner in need of a Savior. But Gnosticism had made them think and feel that they weren't proper Christians. And the outcome was that many of them questioned their Christianity, they doubted their salvation, and some even fell away from the faith. But as John writes this letter, as we've seen, it's a, it's a love letter. It's full and overflowing with the love of God through the death of Jesus Christ. And John is writing this love letter because he loves the Lord and because he loves the Lord's people. He wants these Christians to know that they are a Christian. John knows that they're a Christian. John knows that they're Christians, but he wants them to know that they're a Christian. Because John says the only way to have complete joy in Christ, to, the only way to have peace in your heart and joy in your life as a Christian, the only way to have assurance of salvation is to know that you're a Christian. It's to know that you're a Christian. That's the gnosis you need, says John. Not a higher knowledge of God, but to know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And as we said before, chapter 5, verse 13, that's the key verse of this whole letter. John is writing, he says, I write these things to you who believe. You already believe, he says, in the name of the Son of God, but I'm writing all this to you that you may know. I want you to know that you have eternal life. You have it, but you doubt it. So I want you to know that you have it. I want you to know that you have eternal life. And you know, my friend, John wrote this letter for one purpose, that you may know and that you may be sure that you're a Christian. 
What a great letter to come to and study together. And so as we've studied in the first chapter of John, of 1 John, John said that you should know that you're a Christian if you're continually walking in the light, if you're continually talking with the Lord, and if you're continually confessing your sin. There are the, the three things John says in chapter 1 about knowing that you're a Christian. If you're walking in the light, talking with the Lord, and confessing your sin. And this is a continual thing. It's not just a one-time act. It's continual. And because it's continual, you're growing. John says, this is how you know you're growing. You're growing in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then as we began chapter 2, John lovingly told us that the wonderful thing about confessing our sin, about being honest with God and open with God, the wonderful thing about it is that we have an advocate with the Father who's called Jesus Christ the righteous. John says in verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but you know, the way John addresses the disciples, his, the disciples in this church, the way he addresses them here is the same way that Jesus addressed the disciples in the upper room. The way John speaks to Christians is the way Jesus spoke to them. You know, I love that. Jesus said to the disciples in the upper room, as we read it earlier in John 13, he said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. And as a true disciple of Jesus, as somebody who's following in the footsteps of Jesus, John imitates Jesus, and he uses the same term of endearment as he speaks to these Christians. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. And he wants to remind them, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And what I love is that John is, he's so loving. He speaks like Jesus spoke. He's following in the footsteps of Jesus. And he's, he's speaking there using language, language like the courtroom. He's emphasizing that when our sin condemns us and we feel like rubbish Christians, which we often do, and when Satan tempts us and, and tells us that we're a failure and we're a phony of a Christian and that we're not really one of the Lord's, John says, remember. Just remember this, he says. We have an advocate with the Father. Remember we have someone who stands on our behalf. Remember we have someone who presents our case and pleads our cause to the judge of all the, all the earth. Remember we have someone who will support us and stand by us. And that someone is none other than our elder brother, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, says John. He's the atoning sacrifice. He's our blood sacrifice. He's our perfect Passover lamb. And with that word of encouragement, John then shows us a test, the test of true Christianity. The test of true Christianity, where John says, this is how you know you're a Christian. I know you're a Christian. I want you to know you're a Christian. This is how you know you're a Christian. You keep God's word. You keep his word. John says, you know that you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior when you keep his commandments. You know that you're a Christian when you want to keep God's commandments. You know that you don't keep them, but your desire is to keep them. 
And you want to keep these commandments, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a genuine desire, this determination to keep the commandments of God because you love Him. You want to keep the commandments because you love God. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Therefore, the test of true Christianity is you keep God's Word. You keep God's Word. And as we saw last week, John emphasizes, he explains that you keep God's Word because you're being kept by God. You keep God's Word because you're being kept by God. That's how you know that you're a Christian. As we were saying before, the first step after being saved is being kept. And we're kept by the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, we were talking about this last week, but just to to say it again as we move on. We mentioned last Lord's Day that progress in the Christian life isn't needing Jesus less. Progress in the Christian life is needing Jesus more. That's what John is saying here. Progress in the Christian life isn't needing Jesus less. Progress in the Christian life is needing Jesus more. And, you know, every year we go on as a Christian, we should ask ourselves. So ask yourself this evening, is Jesus more beautiful to me now? than he used to be? And is sin more ugly to me now than it used to be? Is Jesus more beautiful to me now than he used to be? And is sin more ugly to me now than it used to be? And if we're progressing in the Christian life, our answer to both these questions should be yes. Yes, Jesus is more beautiful to me now than he used to be. And the reason he's more beautiful is because sin is more ugly to me now than it used to be. And, you know, as we, become, as we become more and more aware of our sin, we often feel more sinful. That's a sign that the Lord is working in our life. But it's when we feel that we're more and more sinful, Jesus becomes all the more precious and all the more beautiful to us. So progress in the Christian life isn't needing Jesus less. Progress in the Christian life is needing Jesus more. Which is why John says, whoever keeps God's word, in him the love of God is being perfected. The love of God is being perfected, which leads to the second test of true Christianity. The love test. The love test. The first test of true Christianity, boys and girls, is the obedience test. Where we desire to obey God's word, keep God's commandments, because we love God. The second test of true Christianity, which John speaks about, is the love test. The love test, where we not only love God, but we also love one another. We love one another. Which is why John says in verse 7, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, do you remember when Jesus, he was approached and he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered the question by quoting words from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Jesus answered the question, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And Jesus said, this is the greatest and first commandment, and a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments, said Jesus, depend all the law and the prophets. And by quoting the Old Testament, Jesus was in fact showing us that God has always commanded this. He's always commanded this. God has always commanded that we love Him and we love one another. That we have a love towards Him, a vertical relationship, and we also have a horizontal relationship. We love one another. Because as Jesus said, the whole Bible, the law and the prophets, they teach us and they tell us about the importance of loving God and loving one another. Therefore, our Christian character, conduct, conversation, and commitment to Jesus Christ, it should always be governed and guided by loving God and loving one another. The test of true Christianity is the love test. That's what John is saying here. The test of true Christianity is the love test, where we not only love God, but we also love one another. But what John says here is very, very challenging. And we can't overlook it. We can't walk around it as much as we might want to. But you know what John says here? He says, verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. It's been there from the beginning. It's an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard in the Old Testament. Then he says, verse 8, At the same time, It is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness of the Old Testament and the the true light of the New Testament is already shining. And so what John is saying is that this Old Testament commandment now has to be viewed in the light of the New Testament. Because this Old Testament commandment has been upgraded. It has been, in many ways, updated. It's an upgraded and updated commandment. Not because the old commandment was flawed or failed in any way. No, this commandment is updated and upgraded because it was all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. This commandment is upgraded and updated because it was all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And that's why John says there, This new commandment is true in him and in you as a Christian. This this commandment, new commandment, is true in Jesus, in him, and in you as a Christian. Therefore, the old commandment of love your neighbor as yourself, it has now been upgraded and updated to love one another as I have loved you. It's not what Jesus said in John 13. We were reading it earlier. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another just as I have loved you. Which means, my friend, the standard of love which is to be shown to one another is now much, much higher. Because the standard of love which we're to show to one another, it's no longer love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That's one standard. But the standard has been upgraded. It's been updated to love one another as much as Jesus loves you. That's a high standard. 
And, you know, with this commandment, it's made much more personal. Because then we're made to think, well, how much does Jesus love me? And we don't need to go far to work out how much Jesus loves us. Because when we consider the love which Jesus has personally and powerfully demonstrated and displayed to us on the cross at Calvary, we can see how much he loves us. John, later in the letter, he, he says verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Then later in, in the, the letter, he says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So when we consider the love which God has personally and powerfully demonstrated and displayed to us in the death of Jesus Christ, John says to us, that's the love. That's the love. That's the standard which you are to demonstrate and display to one another. It's a high standard. That's the standard which you are to demonstrate and display to one another. My friend, it's a high and holy standard. But it's a standard which leads to our second heading, the commendation of love. So we have the commandment of love, love one another as I have loved you, but then the commendation of love. The commendation of love, look at verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In this section, John, he commends this new commandment to the church. And he commends it in such a way that they will not only appreciate it, but that they will also apply it in their lives. And the application of this commandment is what's crucial because, you know, we can all appreciate this commandment. We can all appreciate that it's an important commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. We can all appreciate that it's a commandment that has come directly from the lips of Jesus. So it's a serious commandment. It's an important commandment. A new commandment is Jesus that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. But even though we can appreciate this commandment, it's the application of this commandment that we often fail to achieve. It's the application of this commandment that we often fail to achieve. And I say that because, you know, thinking about this this week, as a young Christian, I always remember being told by an older Christian with many years of Christian experience, they said to me, the world will respect you, but the Christian will hurt you. The world will respect you, but the Christian will hurt you. And sadly, throughout the years, I have found that statement to be true on a number of occasions. The world will respect you, but the Christian will hurt you. And you know, it's, it's actually a sad statement, but it's also a solemn and sobering statement for the Christian. Because sometimes, you know, Christians can be the most horrible and sometimes the most hurtful people. 
Sometimes Christians can be such a bad witness, a bad advert, a bad example of Christianity that they turn people away from Christ. But as James wrote in his letter, he said, brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. These things ought not to be. And when James said that, he was speaking about the tongue. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be, because we ought to love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. That's the standard. Because as Jesus said, as he went on in in John chapter 13, we read it earlier, Jesus said, by this, by this love, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do I know that I'm a Christian? I love Jesus and I love other people. How do others know that I'm a Christian? I love Jesus and I love other people. In fact, you know, loving Jesus and loving people, loving Jesus and loving people, that is our mission statement as a congregation. I don't know if you knew that. It's on our intimations. It's on our website. Whenever anyone goes onto the church website, the Barbas Free Church website, that's the first thing they'll see. They'll see a picture of our church, our church and our mission statement above it. Loving Jesus and loving people. Loving Jesus and loving people. And that's what we're commanded and commended in Scripture. We're commanded and commended to be a congregation where we are loving Jesus and loving people. But here's the application. Is that what we're known for? Is that what we're known as as Christians? Because as we said this morning, our Christian character, conduct, conversation, and commitment to Christ, it's important and integral to the witness of our congregation in this community. Or in the words of D.L. Moody, as we said, 100 people will read the Bible. And, And out of 100 people, one person will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. And so what are they reading? when they see you and I? What are they reading from our life? Are we known in our congregation and our community for our mission statement, loving Jesus and loving people? Because this is what's commanded. This is what's commended in Scripture by our Savior, Jesus. He says, a new commandment I give to you. You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another by this By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you know, it was was the example of Christ's love for his church. That's what led Paul. That's what led Paul to emphasize and explain to the church in Corinth the the love that they should be showing towards one another. And you know, Paul, he, he wrote about the love of Christ in the life of the believer so often. But even to the church in Corinth, he wrote to them as just about the the love of Christ and the life of the believer. And he wrote to them at a time when there was discord and division within the church at Corinth. He wrote to them when there was a time of hurt and people were there harboring and holding grudges. He wrote to them at a time when there were feuds and fallouts forming, there were splits and schisms starting to show, there was insensitivity, there was insulting, there was ignoring one another. There was this real lack of 
of love within the church, where forgiveness was being withheld and it was starting to fester and be fueled by, by fury. Which is why the great apostle Paul, he wrote that well-known chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. That's a chapter we're all familiar with. And how does he begin? Paul wrote, he says, if I speak, this is the great apostle Paul speaking, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, my words are just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And if I have the prophetic powers to understand all the mysteries of God and the faith to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And as Paul goes on to say, he says, our love should be like Jesus' love. We should imitate Jesus' love because his love is patient. His love is kind. Love does not envy or boast, he says. His love is not arrogant or rude. His love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or, or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. No, he says, love rejoices at the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. And then he goes on to say, faith, hope, and love, they abide, but the greatest of these is love. And you know, the sad reality is, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, they may be some of the most loved verses in the Bible. But dare I say, and I say it to myself, they are the least lived verses in the Bible. Love one another as I have loved you. You know, the biggest blight and blot on the church of Jesus Christ in our generation is its lack of love. Its lack of love. And needless to say, our lack of love is because we have lost our first love. You know, I was asked, I was preaching in back on Friday evening, and we had the fellowship in the manse afterwards, and Colin was doing the fellowship. But every, at the end of the fellowship, he asks, and he says he asks this question to every minister um, as the fellowship ends, and he said, what is the biggest challenge that the church is facing in our generation? The first thing that came to my mind was apathy. Apathy is the biggest challenge of the church in our generation. Our lack of love. Firstly, for the Lord. Secondly, for the Lord's people. Or secondly, for the Lord's cause. Thirdly, for the Lord's people. Our lack of love is because we have lost our first love. And my friend, because we have lost our love for Christ, we have lost our love for other Christians. And have we lost our love for the lost too? Have we lost our love for the lost? And John says here, this is the love test. This is the test of true Christianity. It's a real test. And it should be a real test for us of our Christian character, conduct, and conversation, that we love one another by living in the light of God's glory and God's grace. Because as John reminds us here, he reminds us that when we live in the light of God's glory and grace, we will love one another because Jesus loves them. We will love one another because we know that Jesus died for them. We will love one another because 
Jesus' blood cleanses them from all sin, just as he cleansed mine. We will love one another because they too have come to experience the grace of God in this life. They have experienced and they enjoy grace by the way and glory in the end. So we are to love them as Jesus loves them. And you know, you might be here tonight sitting here thinking, well, I don't love like Jesus loves. I wish I did, but I don't. But you know, as we come to this passage, we should all be thinking that. I don't love like Jesus loves. I wish I did, but I don't. So how can I be a Christian if I don't love like Jesus loves? But you know, the thing is about this love is that it's not man-made. It's not manufactured. This love is a work of God's Spirit. So if you have God's Spirit in your heart, you will love, and you will learn to love like Jesus loved. Because as Paul says, the love of God has been poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, how do I know that I'm a Christian? John says the true test of Christianity is the obedience test and the love test. The time has gone. But the true test of Christianity is the the desire to obey God's word and keep God's commandments because we love him. But we not only love God, we also love one another because Jesus has loved us. And we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And the thing is, John knows this is a hard-hitting lesson because he seeks to remind and reassure the Christians in this church. And this is what I want us to conclude with this evening. He wants to remind and reassure the Christians there in verses 12 to 14. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so as John concludes this section and as we conclude this evening, we see that John reminds us and reassures us, or reminds them and reassures them, of the three ages and stages that are in the church of Jesus Christ. The three ages and stages, the little children who are here with us this evening, the young men and young women, I will not give an age category, and the fathers of the faith, those who have been following the Lord for many years. Little children, young men, and fathers of the faith. And what John says to each and every one of these three ages and stages in the church of Jesus Christ is, boys and girls, you know. That's the two words he leaves them with. You know. You know. John says, stop questioning, stop doubting, stop excusing yourself from this. You know. You know. John says, little children, you know. Young men, you know. Fathers of the faith, you know. You know that you're a Christian because of what God has done in your life. You know. And read the verses again. You see the emphasis. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know. 
him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John is saying to them, stop questioning, stop doubting, stop excusing yourself from this commandment. Little children, you know. Young men, you know. Fathers of the faith, you know. I'm writing to you because you already know that you're a Christian. I'm writing to you because you already know that you're a Christian. So if you know, you confess that you're a Christian. Let's love one another as Jesus loves us. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we marvel that thy word is so new to us all the time. It is so fresh every time we come to it, where we are reminded of maybe commandments of the past, and yet they come home to us with this new freshness to it, reminding us that we need to love just like Jesus loved, to walk just like Jesus walked, to talk just like Jesus talked. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we say things that we shouldn't say, or think things that we shouldn't think, or do things that we certainly shouldn't do. And Lord, that thou wouldst teach us to love as Jesus loves. Lord, help us to know that we are thine, to know that we belong to Jesus, that he is one who loved us and gave himself for us. Bless us, Lord, we pray. Bless us in the week that lies ahead. As we often say, a week unknown to us, but we give thanks that it is known to thee, that the end is known to thee, even from the very beginning. Help us then to trust thee, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not upon our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge thee, for thou art one who shall direct our path. Keep us, we pray, go before us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we'll bring our service to a conclusion this evening. We'll sing in Psalm 116. Psalm 116 in the Scottish Psalter, page 395. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. We're singing from the beginning down to uh, the verse marked 8. We're actually looking at this on, on Friday evening and back. Uh, I was talking about the four C's, always alliteration, four C's of the Christian's testimony. So how do you know you're a Christian? First C was confession. Then there was change. Then conversion. And then commitment. Confession, change, conversion, commitment. And it's all in this psalm, the psalm of the Christian's testimony. But before we sing... Questions? Question one. Are you ready? What question is John asking in his letter? How do I know that I'm a Christian? What is the first test of true Christianity? The test of obedience or the obedience test? Yeah, well done. 
What is the second test of Christianity? The love test. Yep. What two words does John emphasize as he concludes? You know. Yeah? You all get that? Did you get it? Yeah? Good. Well done. Okay, Psalm 116 from the beginning. I love the Lord because my voice and prayers heeded here. I, while I live, will call on him who bowed to me his ear. Down to verse 8, to God's praise. I love the Lord because my voice and
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.